Howdy, howdy, folks. I am Father Fred Gatchett, and you are tuned into the Double-Edged Sword Program. Here on the fine family of Divine Mercy Catholic Radio Stations, Classics KVDM 88.1 Hayes, KRTT 88.1 Great Bend, KJDM 101.7 FM Lindsberg and Salina, and KMDG 105.7 Hayes. Again, these are the, the four um, um, radio stations that make up Divine the family of Divine Mercy Radio, Catholic Radio Stations, and we're glad to use these Catholic airwaves to come to you with the double-edged sword program with which we are cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. And that's what we try to do here on every installment of the Double-Edged Sword program. And for this week, for this installment of Double-Edged Sword, what I wanted to talk about was what I think next to the prodigal son, which I think most people would probably agree is Jesus's greatest parable. And then the Good Samaritan, which I think most people would agree is at least a close second, if not a tie for first. But in my never-to-be-humble opinion, another parable that ranks right up there with them is the, the parable of the unforgiving servant. And um, it, it's, in, it's found in, in Matthew chapter 18. And what I want to do on, on this program today is, you know, normally what we do is we have it in, in two pieces. Um, we'll do a first piece, and then we have to have a, we do a little break for our underwriters um, who um, keep, the, keep the show on the air to have them have their say. And then we'll come back on the, on the second part. On the first part, what I really want to do is just kind of pick through the parable almost verse by verse, making reference back to the Greek text and what it, what it really means in its original language and the original intent, because some of that gets lost in the translation. And then after that, after the break, we're going to come and talk about how this really kind of applies to us individually in our real-life situations. So um, let, let's see what happens with that. So again, this comes in, in chapter 18, where Jesus first starts off talking about, you know, how you take care of someone else who sins. And he's, he says, if, if, you know, if your brother sins against you, go and point that fault out when the two of you are alone. If your brother listens to you, you have won him back. But if he does not listen to you, then take two others along with you, that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If your brother refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to even the church, then let him be treated as you would a Gentile or a tax collector. So there, you know, Jesus is kind of telling us how to deal with, you know, with someone that's got run off the rails. You know, someone does something that offends us. You know, first we take it just to the person, keep it between us. Then, you know, if that doesn't work, we take a couple of witnesses along. If that doesn't work, present it to the community. If he doesn't listen to that, get rid of him. And, um, and the idea isn't just to get rid of them. The idea is to show that this is dead serious and that hopefully then they would, they would repent and then we could joyfully welcome them back. But then after that, that little instruction, then Jesus, Peter comes up and says to him, this is in verse 21, chapter 18, verse 21. Then Peter came up to him and said to, and said to him, Lord, if my brother sins against me, how often should I forgive him? As many as seven times. Now that's pretty loaded right there. Because what Peter is saying, what he's appealing to there, is the experience that we all have. You know, in, in Bible talk, seven means perfection and completion. And so what Peter is saying is, if somebody offends me, if somebody hurts me, do I have to forgive them completely? You know, what happens if, you know, I'm trying to forgive them, and, but I just can't? Or, you know, I, I've mostly forgiven them, but every time I see them, you know, bad memories come back, you know, and things like that. 
And then notice Jesus doesn't say, well, that's good enough. No, Jesus says to him, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven times. In other words, seven, perfection, completeness, wholeness, times 10, you know, which is another biblical number, like the Ten Commandments, and then times seven again. And so Jesus is saying the, you know, the forgiveness has to be complete and total. And then um, when, whenever we get down to verse 35, you know, he'll kind of drive this point home. So then Jesus then starts off in this parable, which again to me is, is genius in the way that it's, it's told, which we would expect nothing less. He's the son of God after, after all, right? So he says, for this reason, in verse 23, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought into him. Now, this is a pretty good translation. This is the New Revised Standard Version. And um, and then there where it says um, seven times talents, it says 10,000 talents. All right. Some translations, I think the translation that we use at Sunday Mass, unfortunately, says who owed him a huge amount. Well, a huge amount don't tell us much, but 10,000 talents does. In fact, in the original Greek, it says myriads of talents. Okay. Um, the, the talenton is a, is a measure of, of, of precious metal. You know, in our, in our economy, we measure precious metals usually by the troy ounce. You know, if you, you know, we sell gold by the ounce, we sell silver by the ounce, by the troy ounce. But in ancient times, it was measured in what was called the talent. And depending on the part of the Mediterranean world you were from, the, the, the weight of the talent kind of varied. In some places, it was 40 pounds, in other places, up to 60 pounds. So it was quite a bit. You know, a, you know, a talent of gold, you know, if you just strike it in the middle and call it 50 pounds, 50 pounds of gold is a lot of gold, all right? And so it says that he owed, um, our, the New Revised Standard Version that I just read from says that he owed 10,000 talents. The, the original Greek said he owed myriads, and, you know, a myriad is, is 10,000 in Greek. And so it, it said he owed 10,000s, plural, of talents. Well, let's take the New Revised Standard here and just go with 10,000 talents. Well, if you have 10,000 talents times 50 pounds per talent, and if there's 16 ounces to a pound, and if gold is currently selling at about $1,900 an ounce, well, then you have 10,000 times 50 times 16 times 1,900. That's $15,200,000,000, okay? Obviously, Jesus is using some hyperbole here. You know, who could rack up, other than the United States government, who could rack up a debt of $15,200,000,000, right? But, and then furthermore, if we, if we take the original Greek that he owed tens of thousands of talents, well, I mean, you know, it could be 150 billion, 200 million. I mean, it, you know, it, it's, a, it's a huge, huge number. And Jesus uses that number because he's trying to drive home a point. He's using some hyperbole here, you know, some, you know, some big time exaggeration, okay? So it says the guy comes in who owns all this, who owes all this money. Then um, it says, as he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold together with his wife, children, and all of his possessions in payment of the debt. Now, the thing of it is, is, you know, even in our day and age, and, you know, just kind of assume the worst in a, you know, a terrible case of human trafficking or something like that. If you sold a man and his wife and say even had five kids and his house and his car and all this stuff, are you going to get $15,200,000,000 out of them? No, you're not. You know, I don't know, you might get a couple hundred thousand or something like that. I don't know what these things go for. But you're not going to get $15,200,000,000. And so when Jesus throws the little line in there that says, you know, the guy was to be sold with his family and all of his property in payment of the debt, 
He's trying to show, you know, again, people back in those days would have gotten the numbers and they would have said, well, gosh, even if you sold him and his wife and his kids and all of his property, there's no way you can pay that off. And Jesus is saying, yes, very good. Go to the head of the class. That's exactly what that means. Because, you know, obviously the master here is God and one of the slaves is us. And there is nothing any of us can do to pay the debt for our sins. You know, even if even up into our very lives, you know, nothing would be would be sufficient to pay what we owe for our sins. That's why we have to have a God man, Jesus Christ, to pay the debt for our sins on the cross. And so what Jesus is trying to show here is there's no way this guy can pay this back. It's impossible. But then in verse 26, it says, so the slave fell to his knees before him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you back and I will pay you back in full. Again, that's ridiculous. Who, you know, in, in no matter who you are, I don't care if you're Jeff Bezos, you know, the, the, the billionaire owner of, of, of Amazon, you know, who is going to be able to pay back a $15 billion, $200 million debt, all right? And so, again, the, the whole thing is, it's, 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 if it wasn't so pathetic, it'd be comical. And so you have the, the, the slave falling before his master, no, be patient, I'll pay it, I'll pay you, you know, pay it all back. And then it says, and out of pity for him, the master of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. So again, you know, that's what Jesus is telling us about our status before God, is that our debt before God is so great that the only thing that God can do is forgive the debt or send us all to hell. He could do that too. But um, if he doesn't want to send us all to hell, the only thing he can do is forgive the debt. Um, it was one of the popes, I think it was Pope St. Leo the Great, who said that God has put himself in our debt, not because we owe anything to him, but because he has promised us so much. And again, that's kind of a sobering thought to think about. Okay, so then, you know, the, 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 it says here that the master just forgave him his debt. Now in verse 28, but that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, okay? Now, again, our New Revised Standard here is a pretty good translation because it gives us the, gives us the number. Um, some translations, again, I think the translation we have at Mass on Sunday says he went to his fellow slave owed a much smaller amount. Well, 100 denarii is a much smaller amount, but when we don't know what that number means, then we lose some of the richness of the parable, okay? A denarius was a day's wage for a worker back in those days. Well, let's just translate that into time in our own times right now. If you have 100 days, and if you have a laborer making $15 an hour, which I guess in our day and age, that's probably kind of an average wage for, you know, maybe a beginning construction worker or, you know, something like that, a laborer, okay, times eight hours a day, okay? So if you have 100 days times $15 an hour times eight hours a day, that would come up to $12,000. Now notice, you know, Jesus picked that number for a reason. He could have said that, you know, that slave went out and came up on his, one of his fellow slaves that owed him, you know, $5 from lunch yesterday. Well, that would just be ridiculous. You know, I mean, why the guy can't let five bucks go? I mean, why any of us can't let five bucks go? Big deal, right? But no, Jesus picked a number. He picked a meaningful number that if he owed 100 days wages, well, that's $12,000. And that's quite a bit of money, at least for me it is. You know, that's not chump change. And so in effect, what Jesus is saying is by picking this number is, is that, yeah, if someone has harmed me, then that can be significant, okay, $12,000. And so, but, but at the same time, 
It says that, um, you know, but that, that same slave came out when his fellow slaves on 100 denarii and seizing him by the throat, he said, pay back what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, have patience with me and I will pay you. Now, notice the slave uses the same words that the other slave used in front of his master. Okay, the fellow slave says the very same thing. Have patience with me and I will pay you back in full. The difference is, is that $12,000 is something that's, what's the word, paybackable? You know, it's something that you could, that could be paid back. You know, this is not an unreasonable figure, all right? And so, you know, when you look at the, at the number of 12,000, it's significant in that, you know, that's real money. I mean, if, if someone owed me $12,000 and they were, you know, kind of, you know, trying to get out from, you know, get, a, you know, get away without paying it, I wouldn't be very happy about that because it takes me quite a bit of what, quite a bit of time to earn $12,000. That's, you know, it's a significant amount of money. And, um, and so, but the thing of it is, compared to if, if, if I just got let off the hook for $15 billion, $200 million, you know, $12,000 is kind of chump change in comparison, okay? And so this is what Jesus wants to get a point, get across by talking about the 100 denarii instead of just the large amount. I mean, that doesn't really tell us much, okay? That it's a significant amount, you know, that what, you know, what, this, what this one slave owed to his fellow slave was a significant amount of money, you know, based on what they would, how, you know, the, the income they would have. I mean, for them, that, I don't know, that might have been, I don't know, five or six months pay or something. I don't know. Um, but compared to getting let off the hook of $15 billion, $200 million, you know, the, 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 other, the, the slave probably would have had the right to ask the, his fellow slave to pay what he owed because we all have the duty to pay our just debts. But at the same time, he could have, you know, it would have been magnanimous of him to say, you know, I just got let off the hook for $15 billion. Just keep it. I don't care. You know, I'm ecstatic about what I've been let off the hook with. Um, but he could have at least said, okay, well, you know, I'll give you another month or whatever, you know, how much time you need to pay it off. They, they could have worked out something. But instead, he says, he grabs him by the, by the throat, you know, pay back what you owe, okay? But he refused and he went and threw him into prison until he should pay the debt. Verse 31, when his fellow servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he should pay back his entire debt. Now, think about that. If he's being tortured until he pays back the entire debt, how long is he going to be tortured? He's going to be tortured forever. This is a metaphor for going to hell. All right. Um, then Jesus says in verse 35, and this is the answer to Peter's question. How often must I forgive? Seven times? Do I have to forgive completely? You know, do I have, you know, is there some wiggle room there in case that, you know, maybe something has happened and um, I can't really forgive completely? I still kind of, you know, carry around some pain. I'm not trying to bear a grudge, I think Peter would say. I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm trying to forgive. I know that I'm supposed to. The Old Testament tells us that we have to forgive. Heck, the book of Sirach from the Old Testament says, you know, how dare we approach God asking forgiveness for our sins when we, you know, carry grudges about, about people that have sinned against us. You know, if we can't let it go with others, how can we expect God to let it go with us? So this goes all even back to the Old Testament. Peter would have known that. 
And so, you know, then Peter comes up and asks, you know, well, you know, as many as seven times completely? And Jesus says, no, not seven times, 70 times, seven times. Completely, 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 okay? And then, and so the, the punchline is the whole thing on, on verse 35. So will my heavenly Father do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart, okay? Now, so again, going through this parable kind of piece by piece, and you know, looking at the at the various details, you can see that you know Jesus number one, he's put he set the bar pretty high. You know, he he he's telling us that if we expect forgiveness from God, we have to be ready to forgive one another. At the same time, he also recognizes the hurt and the pain that we can suffer at the hands of other people. You know, I remember back when the the BTK killer, remember him, bind, torture, and kill, um, that guy that was going around in Wichita, I think back in the 1970s, and was just randomly getting, you know, women and binding, you know, tying them up and raping them and killing them, murdering them in cold blood. And, um, you know, the whole city of Wichita was, you know, was um, on edge for the longest time, you know, and then all of a sudden the guy just quit. Nobody heard anything from him again. And, um, you know, the Wichita Police Department kept looking for him and they really could never get a break. And finally, I think it's just been a few years ago, back about, what, 2015 or something like that. Um, They had a break in the case and they found out who the guy was. Okay. And um, whenever he went, you know, he he confessed to everything. And I think he confessed to avoid getting the death penalty. But um, he confessed to everything. And um, when, you know, pled guilty in court and everything, and then when he, um, when it came time for the sentencing, that's when they allowed the victims of the families to come and confront the, you know, the person that, that, you know, did bad things to them. And so they had these various family members of victims, of his victims, that were there at the sentencing, and they were allowed to get up and speak their piece. And um, there were some folks, I remember seeing this on the news, you know, there were some folks that went up, got up and said, you know, look, you took a very precious part of my life. And I'm never going to get over that. I will never be able to, you know, to heal from having, you know, my wife or my daughter, you know, whoever this, this precious woman in their life was that was brutally murdered. And they're saying, you know, I'm, I'm never going to get over this. And I'll carry this with me for the rest of my life. But some of the folks are saying, but, you know, I've, I've forgiven you and I've picked up and gone on. Okay, which, again, they, they acknowledge the pain that's there that will always be there. But at the same time, they realize that, you know, the only thing they really can do is to, you know, forgive the guy and pick up and go on. But there was this one woman that got up and she said, you know, she, she was, she was just really full of bitterness and pain and anger, which you can totally understand. I mean, the man murdered her daughter and, um, and she gets up and she's said something to the effect of, you know, I hope that while you're in jail, you contract some horrible disease and it takes you decades to die from it while you're rotting away in that jail cell and everything. Well, again, you can't blame the woman. I mean, good Lord, you know, this guy kills her daughter in cold blood. At the same time, though, I remember watching that and thinking, you poor woman, he's got you twice. He took away your daughter and now he's taken away your peace and you're letting him have it, you know? And so again, I think that when you look at what Jesus is teaching us here, it's not, you know, kind of a tit for tat kind of thing where, you know, Jesus is saying, look, if you don't forgive, I'm not going to forgive. So there, how do you like them apples? I don't think he's saying that. I think he's telling us that we have to look for the path of forgiveness for our own well-being, for our own mental health, for our own spiritual health and so on. That if, you know, that if we hold on to this stuff, you know, if we can forgive 70 times, seven times, if we can you know, let it go, we're the ones that are liberated. You know, we're the ones that are freed. And so then that, that can be a, a great benefit to us. 
So again, for, like I said, for the first half of the program, I just kind of wanted to go through this parable piece by piece, which we just did. And the second half of the program, when we come back from the break, we're going to talk a little bit about just sort of some you know, practical applications of this as to how this would um, fit in our lives. So again, I am Father Fred Gatchett. I am the rector of Sacred Heart Cathedral in Salina, Kansas. I'm the vicar general for the Diocese of Salina. I also teach a wonderful bunch of sophomores at Sacred Heart High School here in Salina. I teach them all the New Testament. And you are listening to the Double-Edged Sword program here on the Divine Mercy family of Catholic radio stations, KVDM 88.1 Classics Hayes, KRTT 88.1 Great Bend, KJDM 101.7 Lindsburg Salina, and KMDG 105.7 Hayes. And again, these are, this is the fine family of Divine Mercy Catholic radio stations, and you're listening to the Double-Edged Sword program. We are cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. So stay right there, and we'll be back in just a few minutes. Hey gang, we are back, and you are tuned in to the Double-Edged Sword program here on the fine family of Catholic radio stations of Divine Mercy, KVDM 88.1 Hayes, KRTT 88.1 Great Bend, 101.7 Lindsburg Salina, KJDM, and KMDG 105.7 Hayes. And this is the Double-Edged Sword program where we are cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. I am Father Fred Gatchett. I am the rector of Sacred Heart Cathedral in Salina, Kansas, the vicar general for the Diocese of Salina, and I also um, teach religion part-time at Sacred Heart High School where I teach um, sophomores Old and New Testament. And here on the Double-Edged Sword program, we are cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. And the, decep- the, the big deception that we're cutting to today is the, our need to forgive and what, what forgiveness is about and what it's not about. And our case in point was um, the parable of the unforgiving servant, as we find in Matthew chapter 18, verses 23 to 35. And again, I would invite you just to um, get that out and, and read through it sometime in the first part of the program. We went through it and kind of dissected it, um, you, know, word, you know, kind of verse by verse, and a lot of what this stuff meant in the original Greek. And now we're going to try to do some, um, do some um, ap- practical applications of it. And um, the first thing is, is again, that last line can be very haunting. Whenever, you know, Jesus, whenever Jesus says, you know, that the, the master of the unforgiving servant says, well, you wouldn't forgive your fellow servant. Now I'm going to take back my forgiveness for you. And it says, you know, he'll torture him until he pays back the entire debt. Well, the debt was so big, he'll be, he'll be tortured forever. So that's kind of a metaphor for going to hell. And so then Jesus says, so my heavenly father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Also, if you go back to the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of St. Matthew, whenever Jesus is teaching the, the folks on the Our Father, that um, this is in Matthew chapter 6. And um, so, you know, we have Our Father who art in heaven, all right? Then at the very end, and do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. Or as we talk commonly say, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, the verse that comes after that in verse 14 is not, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Okay, a lot of times, a lot of Protestants will say, how come you Catholics cut the, uh, cut the Our Father off early? You don't say, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Well, it's because it's not part of the Our Father, that's why. Um, it comes from the first book of Chronicles. Um, I think it's chapter 19, verse 32 or 33. It's from the, um, the prayer 
that um, Solomon says when he's dedicating the temple, okay? Um, so it comes from Scripture, but it's not part, it doesn't come from Jesus in, in the Gospel of St. Matthew. Because what follows after, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, Jesus says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. So this brings us to the first big thing. And that is, you know, one of, one, of the, one of the phrases I hear all the time, and every time I hear it, I just want to barf. And that is, you know, this so-called unconditional love. You know, Jesus loves you unconditionally. God loves us unconditionally. The unconditional love of the Father, blah, blah, blah. It, it doesn't work, all right? It's just like any good lie. Every, every lie has to have enough truth in it to make it believable. And um, the, the, where the truth part is, is that where I'm sitting right now and where you're sitting right now, are we being, you know, doused from above um, with God's love and grace? Of course we are. But there are conditions for us orienting ourselves in such a way for to take advantage of that grace, for that grace to come into our hearts and souls to where it'll do us some good, all right? And, so, and there are conditions for that. In fact, if you have an if-then statement, that's called a conditional statement. If you forgive others their trespasses, then your heavenly Father will forgive you. The converse, the negative. But if you do not forgive others, then your, your heavenly Father will not forgive you either. Okay? And that, that's from, from the end of the Our Father in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6. Or, you know, again, in Matthew 18, the parable of the unforgiving servant. You know, so will my heavenly Father do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Okay, so again, there's an if statement there. If means condition, all right? And so, you know, the, this idea, I think what a lot of people, what they hope to mean, you know, when you know, Jesus loves you unconditionally, when they say that, I think what they're, what they're hoping is, is, well, that means I can really kind of do whatever I want. You know, I can, I can, you know, not really take my faith seriously. I can go out and get drunk. I can, you know, live irresponsibly. I can do whatever I want because Jesus loves me unconditionally, right? Well, you know, again, is, is the, the love of Christ coming down upon us at all times? Of course it is. But in order to orient ourselves to it, in order to receive it so that it can get into our hearts and souls and do us some good, there are a bunch of conditions that have to be met. And one of those is, a willingness to forgive our, you know, those who, are, who wrong us. Because again, as a, according to this parable, what we owe God because of our sins is infinite, okay? What anyone does to us, you know, in, in the last part of the, of the program, I talked about the BTK killer and how, you know, he, he had, you know, killed a number of innocent women and how those families had to bear up under that and, and, and do something with that. Well, the thing is, is that, if somebody did something even that heinous to any one of us, if you take that evil of a crime and compare it to the slightest transgression against God, the slightest transgression against God is greater. Now, why is that? Well, because some, most of the time, I think what we do is we focus on the magnitude of the offense and not the magnitude of the offended, all right? That is to say, you know, sure, you know, murdering someone you know, murdering someone's, you know, husband or wife or child or something like that, that's heinous, that's terrible. What could be worse, right? Well, there are things that are worse. One thing is worse is offending God because we are finite beings. God is infinite. And therefore, the slightest offense against the infinite is also an infinite offense, all right? 
a big offense, you know, you, you can come up to me and kick me in the shin, and I'm not going to like that, you know, but that, that would, you know, that would be offensive. Um, if you come up and, you know, poke one of my eyes out, you know, that would, that would be even more offensive. You know, if you, if you murder someone that I love, that would be even more offensive, right? But compared to the slightest offense against God, it's, it, it pales in comparison, right? Why? Because God is infinite. God's goodness, his holiness, you know, every, all the perfections of God, whatever it is you want to talk about, his justice, his wisdom, whatever, is all infinite. And therefore, a, any offense against the infinite is of, is of infinite badness, all right? And that's the point that Jesus is trying to get across here. And so therefore, if I've, you know, if, if I've offended the infinite, then who am I as a finite person to hold it against another finite person doing finite harm to me, all right? And so again, I think that, you know, it really kind of calls us to think about that a little bit. Also then, as we keep on going through the parable, that, um, you know, when, when, you know, we find ourselves, we go in front of God and say, well, God, okay, I admit I, you know, I've sinned against you and so on, but hey, I'm going to make it right. We can't. It's impossible. We can't make it right. I can make it right, you know, for example, if I stole $50 from you, I can make it right with you. I can give you your $50 back and I can beg your forgiveness. Um, maybe you'll forgive me, maybe you won't, but at least you got your 50 bucks back, right? But I also violated God's seventh commandment. And so if I go to God and say, well, I'm going to make this right, I can't. Because by violating you know, the, the commandment, you shall not steal, I have offended the infinite goodness of God. And so since I have offended that infinite goodness of God, there's nothing that I can do to pay that back. And so, you know, again, what Jesus is saying here is that, you know, if I go in front of God and say, well, have patience with me, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll make it good, I promise. I can't, you know. But then on the other hand, if someone, you know, steals 50 bucks from me and they come over and, you know, they get caught or whatever and, and they come up and they give the $50 back and I, I snap the 50 bucks out of their hands and say, well, you know, get out of my sight. You're lucky I don't have you thrown in jail or something like that. Well, again, the, you know, that, um, you know, the, that finite offense against me, who is also finite, that can be dealt with, that can be forgiven, all right? And it's just like the, you know, the, the debt that the fellow slave owns. You know, that, that debt could be paid back. You know, what happens between human beings, for the most part, now again, you know, if, I, if someone takes someone else's loved one, you know, by murdering them, they can't, they can't restore that. And so that, that's why that's so bad. But if someone, you know, wrecks somebody's car, somebody, you know, steals something or whatever, that, you know, that can be restored, that can be put back. And so, um, you know, we, we have to, what, you know, what Jesus is telling us is, is no matter how much we've suffered or how much we've, we've hurt from these things, that compared to the infinite offense we have done to God, you know, it pales in comparison. And we should be able to try to find a way, you know, to, to forgive these folks. Also then... What about this idea of forgiving 70 times seven times? In other words, you know, we have to forgive completely. This is the part that's really tough. And because the bottom line, folks, I think is this, is that unless and until all of us loves each of us as much as God loves his own son, we don't get into heaven. Now stop and think about that. Unless all of us loves each of us as much as God loves his own son, we cannot get into heaven. Now, why? Well, think about that a minute. What if there's me and you who's ever listening right now and you don't like Father Fred and I don't like you, whoever you are, um, because of something that happened between us. 
And so, you know, whenever, you know, if we're, we're in the grocery store or something and I see you over in the meat department, I make a beeline over to the produce department and I'll look around and buy my apples and let you buy your meat and we'll just kind of stay out of each other's way because we don't even like looking at each other, all right? But other than that, you and me are pretty good people. You know, I'm, I'm a dutiful priest. I do my job as a priest. I help those that I'm supposed to help. I say my masses, teach my classes, do what I'm supposed to do. You're, you know, a, you know, a good mother, a good father, whatever, good worker, doing what you're supposed to do and so on. The only thing is, is that you and I can't stand each other. Well, the problem is, it's not just you and I. There's, you know, millions of people on earth who don't like each other. Now, assuming, you know, maybe God just brings the whole world to an end right now. And so God tells me and God tells you, well, you know, you're pretty good folks. Sure. You know, you, 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 you've been a believer in my son. You know, you're baptized. You know, you've been to mass and gone to communion and so on. Sure. Go to heaven. So now you and I are in heaven, but we still can't stand each other. Well, and then again, multiply that times the other millions and millions of people in the world that don't like each other. Well, what are we going to do in heaven? Are we going to just kind of, I'm going to go on one corner of heaven, you go to the other corner of heaven so we can avoid each other. And the other millions of people that can't stand each other, they're going to, you know, kind of, you know, part or, you know, part off into, you know, parts of heaven so they can avoid each other. Well, if that's the case, then how's heaven going to be different than earth? It's going to be the same, all right? And so the thing is, you know, each of us, all of us has to love each of us as much as God loves his own son before we can get into heaven. That's kind of a sobering thought, especially with all the divorces out there. You know, you think about the, you know, the, well, I was talking, well, there was a judge friend of mine when I was in Hayes, he since died. But um, one time he and I were talking after mass and he was just shaking his head because he, at his court, he presided over a lot of divorce proceedings. And he said, my gosh, he goes, these, these people once loved each other enough to get married. And when he goes, you just look at the hate they have in their eyes for each other when they come into court. He goes, it's just unfathomable and so on. And so, you, you know, you look at all these ex-spouses, you know, that just despise each other. Well, in order for them to get into heaven, maybe otherwise they're good folks. You know, she's a good woman. He's a good man. They do their job. They're doing the best they can for their kids. You know, they're helping out at school and, you know, with the baseball team and what have you and so on. You know, getting to mass on Sunday. They're good folks, but they hate each other. Well, then if they get into heaven, how is heaven going to be different than earth? It's not. And so that has to be fixed up somehow. And so, again, I think that's why Jesus is telling Peter, you know, that we have to forgive completely. Now, the thing of it is, any one of us that stops and thinks about that one person or, you know, whoever that has hurt us so much, you know, there is someone out there that betrayed us, someone that used us, someone that, you know, that did whatever, you know. And the other thing, too, I think that's kind of humbling to think about is, you know, every one of us is very good about coming up with lists of people that have hurt us. What about the list of people whom we have hurt? We're not so good at coming up with those folks. And one of the things I think that might be kind of sobering on the day of judgment is when all this stuff is laid bare, as Jesus says that it will be, you know, we're going to, we're going to, all of us are going to be kind of, you know, humbled, I think, to go, gosh, I didn't realize I was so offensive to so many people. I didn't know I had hurt so many people because I was too busy counting all the people that hurt me. Well, that doesn't seem to work, does it? But anyway... The point, though, is, is that we might think, well, if that's the case, I'm sunk. You know, if, if I have to love this person, you know, who hurt me so bad, who betrayed me so badly, who used me so, you know, brazenly and so on, I have to love that person as much as God loves his own son. 
my gosh, well, then I might as well just go to hell right now. I'll, I'll never get into heaven under, the, under those circumstances. Well, first we have to stop and ask ourselves, what does it mean to love someone? Now, in our culture, unfortunately, we've reduced love to an emotion. Um, and there, there's an emotional aspect of love, but that's not what love is. St. Thomas Aquinas says, love is defined as willing the good of the other. I will the good of the other. Now, the thing is, is I think that um, unless the pain is very fresh, you know, unless, you know, something happened to me just yesterday um, that caused me tremendous pain and, you know, that somebody else did to me. But, you know, there are sometimes you know, things that happened a year ago or five years ago or 20 years ago or whatever, you know. After a while, you know, with the passage of time, you know, time heals all wounds, as they say. And, you know, we kind of get to the point, it's like, well, okay. We were younger then. We were stupid. We, you know, I guess I, I probably bear some blame for this situation as well and so on. Or maybe we don't. Maybe we're just, you know, totally victim, whatever the case might be. But then we kind of go, well, you know, that was a long time ago. It's water under the bridge. I've kind of let that go. But, you know, once in a while I'll see something that will remind me of the situation and some of the hurt comes back. And, and then I think, well, I thought I forgave this person. I know I'm supposed to, um, but now the, the pain came back. So... Well, did I not forgive them? And if that's the case, then do I not get into heaven? Well, again, I think the number one, if we can say, well, you know, love means willing, desiring the good of the other. And so if I look back on this person who hurt me and I go, well, you know, look, you know, I wish you well. I don't bear you any ill will. Um, I congratulate you on your successes, whatever they might have been. And I just really don't think I want you to be a part of my life right now because I'm just not ready for that at this point, whatever the case might be. Um, or, you know, maybe, you know, hey, let's go out and get something to drink and talk. I don't know. I mean, sometimes, you know, things can kind of be worked out. But the point is, is that if we think love means, well, I'm going to go up and wrap my arms around him and give him a big wet kiss and, you know, and, and it's just like, well, I can't really do that because, you know, there's too much hurt or it would just be so awkward. I just can't do that. Well, again, go back to Thomas Aquinas's definition of love. Love means willing the good of the other. All right. And so if I can say, look, even though I really don't think I would like to go on vacation with this person, I don't know that I'd want to be in a car with this person for a week um, because it would just be so awkward and kind of painful. But, you know, I've kind of gotten past this and you know, I wish them well. I, you know, I, I hope they, you know, they do well with their career, whatever the case might be. And, you know, I've, I've kind of let it go. It's just that I'm just not, you know, I don't know that it, you know, this person also might be just as uncomfortable with me, you know. And so what can I do? Well, again, I think that, um, you know, if we can do that, that's a step in the right direction, you know, where we're doing pretty good if we can get that far. The other thing that our faith affords us as Catholics is the wonderful teaching on purgatory, okay? Because see, I think a lot of times we think of purgatory only in the sense that, well, you know, um, purgatory is where we go, you know, for temporal punishment, you know, for those sins against justice that have already been forgiven in confession, you know? So if I, if I went to confession and I confessed, you know, stealing $50 from you, well, okay, the confession takes care of my relationship with God for having broken his seventh commandment, but I still got that character flaw inside of me that says, you know, that led me, that allowed me to steal. And so that character flaw has to be, you know, kind of polished off somehow. And purgatory does that for us. 
And so, you know, I think that a lot of times we think of purgatory as where we go, well, that's where we go to kind of be, you know, cleansed of these character flaws that led us into sin while we're in this life. And of course, you know, a lot of those character flaws too, we can work on while we're in this life, you know, with acts of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. And so, you know, we, we can work on those character flaws in the here and the now, which would lessen and even possibly even eliminate our time in purgatory. But I also think a big piece of purgatory that never gets talked about is not going to be, you know, it, you know, it will be where I'm fixing up things between me and God, but it's also where I'm fixing up things between me and you, all right? So again, remember, you know, earlier, I you know, kind of threw out this example of, you know, maybe there's you and me, and I can't stand you and you can't stand me. Well, I think purgatory is going to be, you know, God, kind of like what, you know, what the kindergarten teacher does when a couple of boys get into a scrap and she sits them down in a couple of chairs in front of each other. Now, you two just look at each other, you know, and look at the way you behaved. You know, aren't you ashamed of yourselves? Now, you just get up and you shake hands and and you you get on with things. And so, you know, they'll, you know, the little boys will grad, grudgingly get up and and I'll shake on it, shake on it, go on, but get it out there and, you know, say, you know, shake hands and go go their way. You know, maybe later on they become buddies, maybe they don't. Probably they do become buddies. But the point is, I think that a lot of purgatory is going to be just that. It's, you know, you can't stand me, I can't stand you. Other than that, we're pretty good people. And then God's going to sit us down in purgatory and say, well, you know, Father Fred and whoever this person is, work it out. You can't get into heaven until you do. Let me know how it turns out. Call me if you need some help, all right? And so, you know, I think that a lot of purgatory is going to be us mending fences with other people. It's going to be us forgiving 70 times, seven times. It's going to be us learning how to love others every bit as much as God loves his own son. And so, again, you know, the, 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 the teaching on purgatory is one of the great, you know, beacons of hope that we have as, as Catholics. Because, like I said, if you're thinking to yourself and you're saying to yourself, how am I ever going to be able to forgive that person who did that to me completely, 70 times, seven times? How am I ever going to be able to love that person after what they did to me, um, you know, as much as God loves his own son? It's impossible. I can't do it. You're right. You can't. Neither can I. Um, but again, that's why we have grace, because with grace, all things are possible. And by God's grace, in theory, here on earth, that would be possible. You know, if, if, we, were, if we were brave enough and courageous enough, you know, we could call that person up, you know, that, um, that we offended. And we could say, hey, you know, um, I really messed up. You know, can we go out and talk about this? And that would take a lot of courage to do that. And, you know, maybe the other person says... Well, you know, I guess we could. I guess I could go talk to you about it. But on the other hand, you know, I've since moved on with life and I pursued my interests. I made new friends and you just ain't one of them. So let's just leave it there for now. Let's just call it good enough. Well, you can do that. But again, eventually, you know, that fence is going to have to get mended. And, um, and, and you know, the, the great you know, hope of purgatory um, gives us that possibility because, Again, the thing to remember about purgatory, nobody flunks purgatory and goes to hell. Purgatory is a one-way street. If we get into purgatory, we're eventually getting into heaven. Don't know how long it's going to take. Um, for some folks, it might just be a brief stopover. Other folks could be there for quite some time as they're getting their rough edges, you know, polished off, you know, from various character flaws that drove us to sin against God. But also, you know, as we spend time 
in, you know, in purgatory, you know, with other souls who, whom we have offended and other souls who have offended us as we try to work these things out and learn to love one another as much as God loves his own son. And um, so, again, I think that, you know, on earth, if we go by Thomas Aquinas' definition of love, that love is desiring or willing the good of the other, maybe that's the best we can do. You know, maybe, you know, with, with someone that's offended us or hurt us or betrayed us or used us or whatever, that's just, you know, left us, you know, full of, you know, anger and resentment and bitterness and so on. And we finally get to the point of saying, well, you know, maybe I feel sorry for that person. You know, I get to the point where I go, well, if, if that's the kind of person they are, that they're going to treat other people like that, I guess they're just kind of more to be pitied. And so, you know, I've gotten over it. I, you know, I bear you no ill will. You know, I wish you well, and, you know, that's the best we can do. In my opinion, that's pretty darn good. That's a pretty good start. Um, but again, in, unless all of us loves each of us as much as God loves, loves his own son, we're not getting into heaven. You know, that's what purgatory is all about, and that can be a big help for us. And I think it can give us a lot of hope and consolation as we strive here on this earth, you know, to try to get along better with folks and, um, you know, work, work past past offenses and past betrayals and so forth. And I guess another um, encouraging thing, too, is to be remind ourselves of all those times where we do just kind of habitually forgive, I mean, especially with the people that we love, you know, with, with a spouse or with a child, you know, um, there, there can be a lot of mess ups there, a lot of screw ups. And, you know, someone comes and says, you, you did what? And then, you know, because of our love for the person, it's kind of, well, you know, what the heck, you know, we'll, we'll get through this. Don't worry about it. You know, we'll, we'll figure it out. It's water under the bridge. Come on, let's just move forward. You know, a lot of times, you know, we do it. You know, we, we're, we're able to, to forgive and forget completely. That happens a lot. And so it isn't to say that all of us are a bunch of unforgiving wretches, because I think a lot of us probably do a pretty good job of, you know, forgiving things on a pretty regular basis. It's just that sometimes, you know, when it's, when it's you know, really, really serious and it really, really hurts, um, it's kind of hard to let go of some of that past hurt and that past pain. So I hope that's been kind of enlightening to, to folks to, you know, kind of go through that great parable there in Matthew chapter 18 of the unforgiving servant and what that, you know, kind of what it really means. And it's in some of its richness and its depth. I don't think I've exhausted all of it, but I think we've probably got a chance to do a little bit better job there. You know, the idea, you know, if this, if this you know, um, program goes on about 50 minutes or so, I don't think most folks would like a 50-minute sermon at Mass. <laughs> um, so, you know, 8 to 10 minutes is about all they give you. Um, so um, the nice thing about Catholic Radio, it gives you a little bit of a chance to go into a little bit more detail and um, maybe, you know, go into some depth that we otherwise wouldn't be able to do. So again, I am Father Fred Gatchett. I am the rector of Sacred Heart Cathedral in Salina, Kansas, the vicar general for the Diocese of Salina, and also I teach religion part-time at Sacred Heart High, where I have my, my sophomores I teach Old and New Testament to. And um, this is the Double-Aid Sword program on the fine family of Divine Mercy Catholic radio stations, KVDM 88.1 Hayes, KRTT 88.1 Great Bend, 101.7 KJDM Lindsberg and Salina, and KMDG 1057 Hayes. And I'm on the, the Divine Mercy Radio. We invite you anytime to visit our website at www.dv, that's D, that's V as in Victor, www.dvmercy.com and check out what's going on there. There are archived um, 
installments of the Double-Edged Sword program, as well as the One Body program. Both of these are locally produced programs on, you know, on the Divine Mercy radio stations. It's not a whole lot of um, Catholic radio stations have, have two locally produced shows, and, um, and we're very blessed to have that, um, have that here. On, on, on Double-Edged Sword, um, it's mostly um, reserved for priests, and so a lot of my brother priests um, you know, regularly contribute to this program as well. Um, I like listening to them and seeing what they have to say, and I hope you do too. And also um, on, on dvmercy.com, you also find there um, the donate button. Um, we are kept on the air only by donations from our listeners. A couple times a year, we have the carathons where you know, we really kind of um, ramp up the, the fundraising a little bit to keep the bills paid. Um, but with four radio stations going now, um, we're growing strong. And so we definitely need your support. So um, please click that donate button if you can. You also feel free to call the station anytime at 785-621-4110. 785-621-4110. And um, you can let us know what's on your mind. If you have an idea for a, a future double-edged sword program that you would want me or one of the other priests to, to tackle, um, we could certainly do that for you. Um, call in with that idea, and um, we'd be happy to do the homework and, and see if we could make that materialize. Again, um, we invite you to also you know, patronize our underwriters um, for the Double-Edged Sword program. They're the ones that, that keep us on the air, and um, we're grateful for their support as well. So again, I am Father Fred Gatchett, and this has been the Double-Edged Sword program on the Divine Mercy um, family of Catholic radio stations, KVDM 88.1 Hayes, KRTT 88.1 Great Bend, KJDM 101.7 Lindsberg Salina, and KMDG 105.7 Hayes. Um, thank you for tuning in. It's always a pleasure to be able to spend a few moments with you here on, on Double-Edged Sword on, on these Catholic radio stations. Hopefully you got a little something out of it, something to share with your friends. In the meantime, you pray for me and I'll pray for you, and we'll see you the next time around. Thanks for tuning in. Goodbye and God bless.